Welcome to the Colts Coverage Podcast. I'm Joel A. Erickson. I'm joined, as always, by Nate Atkins. We are in a hotel in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, the Colts did what happens in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, they lost their game today, 37-20. to 20. Uh, It's sort of a, a kind of a... a A resetting of expectations? Is that the right way to put it? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good way to start. Um, you know, this team was 3-2. and two. Uh, You know, they've, they've surpassed expectations coming into the year, and I think we were trying to recalibrate those. But, you know, they they had a chance today, if they won, to be alone in first place in the AFC South. So this was sort of like a gut check game, and I think reality kind of set in in a few ways. Uh, namely, as we'll get into with all the categories, but uh, – namely kind of what they are as an offense, I think really came around today. And ultimately what you are as an offense, specifically what you are as a passing game, what you are, you know, at the the most important position is ultimately what you are in the NFL in most cases. Uh, We've seen that for a long time here in Indianapolis. And I felt like today a lot of things came back around where, uh, uh, you know, some hard realities uh, that I think the Colts have to face about just some of the limitations they're up against on offense. Yeah, um, obviously, you know, still uncertain about the the future of of where Anthony Richardson's shoulder is. As Shane Steichen said this week, uh, they are waiting to let him go through some rehab before they make a decision on whether or not he's going to have surgery. Uh, he's on injured reserve. It is possible that it is season ending. Again, this is not new. Um, I might go on a mini rant here a little bit, but just – like, I know there was a Sunday splash report that said he, the Colts are considering whether or not he's going to have season-ending shoulder surgery. We we knew this. We we knew this. Shane Steichen said it with his face. And just because it's packaged a different way doesn't make it new. Like, now I will say this: that it, did we did he say specifically season-ending shoulder surgery? He didn't say those four words in that order. But he said he could have shoulder. Like we're still deciding whether or not he needs to have shoulder surgery, and when when he was asked twice whether or not it could be season ending, he said we'll see, and we don't know yet. Like it's it's not that big a leap, guys. It's just not. And I there's an incremental nature to the reporting um, that, like, I think is actually probably harmful to the player. Um, it, it was initially reported as four weeks, four to eight weeks. And so everyone thought, well, he's definitely coming back. When, like, if if you were following my account, uh, I said that or the, the report I had was that according to, the t- according to the team, they didn't know where it was yet. And I did not say that they thought it – I didn't say either way. It could be better or if it was going to be worse because they didn't know if it was going to be better or going to be worse. So everybody, But everyone saw that and expected, okay, 48 weeks for sure. And I think it hurts – I think it ends up hurting the player because – People expect them to be back in four to eight weeks, and that was never that's that was a possible diagnosis that might have been thrown out. It was not like the actual diagnosis. This is this has always been my understanding is that they need to wait and see before they decide to make a decision on surgery. And one of the issues too is when they say four to eight weeks, and if he doesn't make it back in that span, I mean he's already fighting this narrative with people that he's injury prone. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, this, but but it gets it starts to get a little personal and spun in, in weird ways. Where all of a sudden, 
if he doesn't make it back in that span, there's going to be people who say that he heals slowly, that like he can't get healthy, can't stay healthy. Right. Let's see that. Yes. Yes. When, I, I, agree, I agree. Totally. Yes. Yeah. When I mean, ultimately, we just that, that's what they had to figure out. Like four to eight weeks is a general time frame for the kind of injury he has if they want to manage it without surgery. But, you know, surgery is a different... And actually, I mean, and actually, my understanding is that, like, it, it was just one of the options. Like, it was not like a hard and fast thing at all. It was just that we're going to put him on... Like, they did put him on IR, so it made it at least four weeks. But, yeah, like, the way it was reported was, like, that was the diagnosis. And that was, in like, the same, the same report came out today was saying he could have season-ending shoulder surgery. Both, like, those things were, have always been in the realm of possible options. It's just thrown out there in this sort of incremental reporting that makes it seem like things are happening and nothing is happening. My understanding is that nothing has changed since the middle of the week. Mm-hmm. But it's taken as if it's changed because of the way they handled the way the reporting was handled. That's that was my frustration with the when the day began um, was was with the way it was approached. Yeah, and the thing is too is like you just have to understand when it's a serious injury on a rookie quarterback's throwing arm like there's going to be a lot of things up in the air because it's not just about can he get on the field? Is it possible? Can he play through it? Everything for them, as we've said about a thousand times in this podcast, is that it's about the long term. It's about developing this guy for the long haul. So that's both managing his health and in terms of keeping it healthy. It's also uh, you know making sure that when he's back, he can do the things that you want him to do. He can grow in the areas you want him to grow in. And that the team, you know, that, that it's the right time for that. Like, there are other guys who've come back at certain times because, you know, I think about guys like Aaron Rodgers or Ben Roethlisberger whose teams are playing for something and they're established players. It's a totally different conversation with a rookie quarterback who everything is ultimately, like, while they're trying to win games this year, ultimately the most important thing is getting this guy right for his career. And so they're going to take all the time in the world, all the patience in the world to decide on this injury. So uh, we shouldn't have firm answers right now. Well, this is something Colts fans should actually know this. I, I was going to say this is something football fans don't know, but Colts fans should know this um, given given the history that they've had in Indianapolis. Shoulders are complicated. If you are a baseball fan, you understand this intrinsically because you have to deal with pitcher injuries, which are different. They're different than football injuries. Football injuries are, are – uh, caused by blows whereas pitching injuries are are generally caused by overuse or wear and tear that kind of thing but anybody who's a baseball fan knows that shoulders are complicated and things don't always go the way you want them to and it usually um like i said i think if you i think if you cover or i think if you watch baseball a lot you just sort of know this because it happens to pitchers and it changes their careers and stuff like that football is different obviously it's a different sport like i said it's a blow versus a um, versus an overuse or a, or a wear and tear type injury. But it's still a complex joint mm-hmm. with a lot of different moving parts and a lot of different stuff. Um, and that, that, that applies to this too. Like just, just remember that. I, trust me, I get it as a fan. I definitely understand as a fan. You want to know when the player is going to be back, um, exactly what time, and to know like when, hey, especially with a player like Richardson, like I get it. He's... He's really fun to watch. The, the Colts offense is completely different. We'll get to that here in a little bit without him. And there's a lot of excitement around him, and there should be. But unfortunately, the way shoulders work, 
you just don't know until they decide a course of action. And as of right now, they have not made that decision yet. Now, all of the stuff that's been reported is within the realm of possibility, but it's, it's not changing. This was all true on Wednesday, too. It was all true on Wednesday. On Wednesday, Shane Steichen said, again, I just want to repeat this. On Wednesday, twice, uh, we asked Shane Steichen, is it possible this injury could be season-ending? Twice, he said, we'll, some, some version of we'll see. We don't know yet. Yeah, and that's, Nothing changed. And, and we in the media don't know because they don't know. The Colts do not know yet. Like they, they really are trying to figure this out. So I understand why it's like there's a need for information, but like the Colts don't have that information yet either. So um, and my, my thing about it is like I, I understand wanting to know and what you bring up about like Anthony Richardson being so exciting. So you want to know when he's going to be back. That's also all the more reason to take your time with deciding when he's back is that you want to bring that guy back. You want to get the actual version of it and not like a, you know, a neutered version or a broken version. So it's going to take some time to figure it out. It's a very complicated injury that is also on the single most important body part that he has as far as uh, playing this game outside of his brain is his arm. So um, it's a lot going on with it. Anthony Richardson, as always, should be the most important um, piece of the uh, piece of the equation here. Um, so that's that's where we're starting. But the, the game happened today, and that means we're in the first impressions podcast. We will get into the categories now. The Colts lost, so we are going to start with villain of the game. And I really this we we normally try to go opposite here, and it, I think it might be possible, but it's going to be tough. Yeah. I think it's real quick, real quick. Again, MCU villain, heart's in the right place. Yes. Execution's not. Yes. And th- that fits this guy a lot because his heart is in the right place. Uh, but obviously the biggest reason why they, they weren't competitive today, I think, is the quarterback position. Um, Gardner Minshew, this is his second start of the season, and he was managed to win the first one. But some of the issues that happened in that game when we – um, you know, I think I think he was the villain of the game that game too. Uh, when they beat the Ravens, because um, some of the issues that popped up then popped up again, which is a team game planning for him the full week, not game planning for Anthony Richardson, game planning for this guy who's got a lot of tape out there. Jaguars knew him super super well. Uh, for you know, he played there just a couple of years ago. They know what he can and can't do, and uh, they put they found a way to put the game on him by um, by really. Uh, I'm going to take this. I, you wrote a lot about, I think, more about sort of the – well, I'll let you get into kind of what you wrote about. But the, what I what I wrote about was sort of the, the run game effects of this. So with Gardner, I, I mean, he threw three interceptions. He fumbled, um, you know, just bad game all around on that level, 5.8 yards per attempt. But to me, what it came down to was just kind of how limited they were skill set-wise uh, with Gardner Minshew uh, was that you have a situation where – you know, the, the Jaguars were able to stack the box. They were able to play a diamond front. They were able to force this team out of the run. They were able to put it on the quarterback with looks that, you know, high-level passers can beat. Gardner wasn't able to beat it. And, you know, his he, you just see the limitations in terms of he's not able to escape the pressure. When he is under pressure, that really, really creates uh, – you know, he hasn't looked comfortable throwing on the move. Today it really became problematic. That's where the interceptions happened. Uh, and – 
you know, just his ability to navigate that pressure. The, the fumble happened when, you know, Bernard Ryman got beat around the left side by Josh Allen on a speed rush, but I feel like Anthony Richardson would have done something in that moment, either scrambled out, taken the hit better, something other than immediately lose the football. And I just think today showed sort of like the floor of what this team could be, is that with Anthony, there were going to be growing pains, there were going to be imperfections. We saw moments where his accuracy was in and out, stuff like that. Um, but he always brought you a certain floor because of his ability to run the ball on his own, his ability to dictate the personnel that the defense had to you know, put them in a bind as far as you know, who's going to get the ball, the way he opened it up for the run game. There's, there's just not enough of a floor with, with Gardner Minshew in this type of starting role. Um, it's nice that he knows the offense. That helped, you know. That helps when he steps into a game and has to take over. But when he has to be the offense, I think today kind of showed us that uh, that's not really the place that they want to be. There's a reason they drafted Anthony, and this guy's a backup. And I think when he can step up in a game and be a backup, that's fine. I think today kind of showed why he's not a starter anymore in this league. That's that's ultimately what I ended up writing about. Was was I wrote that the culture in a familiar place where they they cannot expect their quarterback to handle the weight of them if they put it on him and that they have to end up they kind of end up having to carry him um and it's it's for a lot of reasons you've already illustrated i did want to say the first two interceptions you were you weren't you were writing on the run game so i don't think you went back and watched them the first two interceptions were actually good pockets Hmm. and he stepped into the throw and he just missed and 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 the reason it, the reason he missed is something that I think I talked about on this podcast before, but just want to go over it again. He, he does not have a lot of arm strength. He's he's not an arm strength type passer, and so when he drives the ball, sometimes it doesn't come out the way it's supposed to. If you look if you go back and look at them, they were both kind of fluttering. He said they both sailed on him. Like that's that's something that happens when someone who doesn't have a lot of arm strength tries to put more on it, um, and and that's that's part of it. I, you know, uh, the the movement is one thing. The way he deals with pressure is not good. Um, that was the third pick. Yeah, he doesn't. He does not handle pressure well. Um, I thought there were a couple plays that we're gonna for, people are gonna forget about, but like it led to the first field goal, where he just threw it out of bounds, and it felt like it was early. Like he felt like he maybe had another step or two to try to get something going. There are a couple times that I think if you go back and watch the film, that it looked like. He's he bails on the play because of the pressure and it's early. Um, like like if he holds if he holds on to it, maybe he's got a better chance to make a play and he wasn't necessarily in danger of getting hit. Um, and then the other thing is just that this leads into what you, this leads into what you were saying, but the, the running game like he does not make the defense move. He does not give the defense something mm-hmm. else to think about, and so today what the Jaguars came out and did was they ran a diamond front and that, that will I'll just uh, just for the sake of, of consistency I'll say the running game today um, but realistically it's because of it's because Minshew's back there at least in terms of this first one if this keeps happening six weeks down the road then I then we can change it I think to maybe the coaching staff but I think with this first one you know they they faced a diamond front and that essentially what that is is it's just it's a seven man front, um, and they couldn't go anywhere on it. And and I, I will say this: you can run against diamond fronts because Colts used to see them in twenty twenty one. And I think that I do actually think that there's probably a way that Shane Steichen is going to figure out 
to get Zach Moss and Jonathan Taylor going, I, I will say it's going to be very difficult the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, if if the Saints if the Browns and Saints play the same front that the Jaguars did, because those are two really good defenses. But uh, the thing with Anthony, when Anthony was there, you had to worry about the quarterback. You don't have to worry about the quarterback anymore. You can go all out for the running back. And I actually thought Jonathan Taylor had a pretty decent game running. Mm-hmm. I just didn't. There just wasn't much there. He was he was picking his way and. And scratching and clawing for a couple of yards. It's kind of same thing with Zach Moss, but I really noticed with the Taylor. Like, I think I said, nice run two or three times, yeah. and it was and for he, it was for two or three, four or four yards. He had eight carries for nineteen yards, so that kind of yeah. illustrates where they're at with that. In um, and so so to kind of further back your point up. So when they run this diamond front, it's seven down linemen, so they've covered up. All of the offensive linemen, they're pretty much preventing the double teams. Yeah, Ryan Kelly said this flat out for us. Yeah, he explained it very, very well. Now, here's the thing. When you have a mobile quarterback like Anthony Richardson, that creates the effect of like an extra blocker because one of those ends that's to his side of the read option has to either crash down on the running back and take himself out of the play or freeze on the quarterback and let the ball hand go off. But the, so you're taking one of those seven guys out of the equation. They don't have that right now with Gardner because there's no risk for the quarterback to keep the ball and he doesn't keep the ball. <coughs> so that's kind of the, the direction I took was just the effects that that took of the run game. But I mean, ultimately the thing is, you know, there's other teams that like if, if the Bengals or the bills or the chiefs ever face this issue where there's seven down linemen and there's one linebacker. So it's an eight man box. They're, they're happy. They'll score 70 points. They're going to absolutely kill you because you've got single coverage on both receivers and one safety in the middle of the field. And they're just going to torch you down the field. And they, the, the fact that the Colts couldn't do that, you know, in a game that had very warm settings, uh, with their healthy receivers, uh, I think is an indictment, you know, on what, where they're at with the quarterback, which is they have a backup in there. And that's, you know, I just <laughs> we, we've brought this up before, but like anybody out there, I think that thought for whatever reason that they weren't playing the right quarterback. I hope today was a flushing of that out of the system. Going back to a couple of weeks ago. Grow up, Peter Pan. Count Chocula. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Grow up. I hope this is the last time we have to make that point because I think the point was very loudly made uh, on the film today. Villain of the game took a while, but we'll go to hero of the game now. Uh, I'm going to pick first. Let's go Josh Downs. First NFL touchdown, pretty decent game. Go Josh Downs. It's, I think. I mean, I don't know that he did anything today that uh, is – I think he maybe has had better games. Um, in terms of getting down the field, no, that might have something more to do with – quarterback than him um but you know guys first nfl touchdown he's he's a very very solid nfl slot receiver already um and yeah and and on a day that was pretty bad this is going to keep coming up because like the score was 37 to 20 and there was a a weird thing there for a little bit where like in theory they could have got back in the game but they never were really in this one um and so uh there's it's there's going to be some imperfects in, in the quote-unquote good categories today. Who's, who's your hero of the game? Yeah, I will say about Josh Downs, I mean, the, the touchdown was nice, but he just he does edit, he does makes NFL plays even when they don't show up in the box score. For an example, I, I'm sure you didn't go back and look at it because this is the play I was writing on a lot, was Jonathan Taylor's uh, 40-yard 
catch and run. Was it mesh? They run it mesh. Was a mesh. It was a just gorgeous design from Shane, uh, where he pretty much motions Jonathan Taylor behind Alec Pierce to create one pick with between the corner and the uh, slot corner. But then once that corner recover that corner recovered, he created another one, and that's because of Josh Downs. Josh Downs perfectly ran his route. You know, to on the detail to the point where then he acted like he was settling down to get those two to collide. Um, just, just really well done for a rookie uh, that that opened that up. So statistically, you may not knock your socks off, but I think I think Josh Downs definitely measured up in a way that some other guys didn't. And I'm going to go with Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, he had he was really the only wide receiver doing a lot statistically today. Nine catches for 109 yards. Uh, he had a 40 yard catch. You know, he was. He was the offense, really, when they, they couldn't, can't run the ball. They, they just couldn't get a whole lot going. They don't have a quarterback run game. Uh, he, was, he was the guy. And the interesting thing is, like, he was the target on all three interceptions. And so normally when that's the case, like, I don't like to assume that the receiver couldn't have done more. And maybe we – Nothing Nothing he could have yeah. done. Yeah. Again, I haven't gone back and watched them all, but I remember I watched all three three times. No, nothing. Specifically, what I'll zero in on is that third interception. Gardner's trying to throw a jump ball, which is not a bad idea to Pittman. I think they should. It was on that play. If he was trying to throw a jump ball on that play, it was up because he had him to the outside. Yeah, yeah. I think they should do that some more in like just duress moments because Pittman can do that. Like I, fifty fifty balls. With him, I think could be like 65, 35 balls. But it like there's nothing he could have done on that play. It wasn't a jump ball. It was like a you know floater that was caught like at the midsection. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna give Pittman you know his credit because I think like he's really without him, I don't know how they would have moved the ball at all today. So well, I, I mean just to, just to sort of kind of back up your choice. Um, you, you mentioned normally when a receiver is the target on all three interceptions, you, you wonder if they didn't do something wrong. I would actually say that you could make the case that on two of the interceptions, it's a case in his favor because he was open and this ball should have like been a good – like the first yeah. one, the first one was kind of muddled in the middle. I don't know for sure if that one would have been a catch. But the second one and the third ones, one should have been a good game over the middle, one should have been a touchdown. Just yeah. should have been. So and, they didn't even have, could, and if he does, that stat line is awesome. He didn't even have to throw a jump ball. He could have just thrown it to the outside. Pittman had him beat to the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, moving on to unsung villain. Unsung villain of the day. Um, unsung MCU villain, of course. For sure. Unsung MCU villain. Um, huh. I'm going to go with... Oh. I'm gonna go with the Colts secondary okay, since you, you waited too long. Yeah, you go first. <laughs> I'm gonna go with the Colts secondary. Uh, not a big day for the Jaguars uh, in the passing game in terms of yards, but it was very easy for them early. It was pretty easy for them early. That they, they, they had the coverage bust, which I, you talked to Juju Brents about this, but um, they were in a cover three. Juju didn't get deep. Yep. Uh, yeah, he had got deep, deep for a 29-yard touchdown. Yeah, he had the deep thirds and you know he's a press corner but just just didn't didn't drop back nearly fast enough and Trevor Lawrence is the type of quarterback that's going to see that and, and torch you and, and did in that moment um and and yeah it just the, the secondary not not all around safeties corners not their best day um it, it's it's going to keep coming up may not maybe not maybe not next week 
Um, but when they do play some of these better passing attacks, I think you, they, it's, it's been they're, they're going to keep having some issues. And when Juju Brents, I will say this, the other thing I thought, when Juju Brents went down uh, and it was Jalen Jones and Daryl Baker Jr. in there for a little bit, I was reminded of how close they are to it being kind of a really freaky thing at the cornerback position. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden, like, Juju is so important to this team, and he's going to give up some plays like that because so, he's a rookie corner. Yeah, he's given up two in the last three games. You know, and it, it's ups and downs with him because I do think – I think he has some good, very nice moments too. The interception, got his first pick, and also um, even though it was thrown right at him, it was kind of good awareness. He's very physical. And very physical. Had a nice PBU in there in the second half and some nice tackles. But he – yep. They, they lost the moments they needed to win in the red zone, and um, and that was – that was tough. Um, I guess for my unsung villain, and again, I want to specify this guy is trying his best and yeah. shouldn't – this is really not at some point. At, at some point in week 15, you will be okay with the category. So it makes me feel a little queasy, but Blake Freeland, um, not that he was that – like he didn't do anything that was maybe noticeably terrible. Um but he got moved to right tackle this week from left tackle. Again, this is where it's his heart is in the right place, and they're training him to do these two things. He gets one practice in at right tackle this week, and he's got to start there. The Colts, I thought, managed that fairly well in terms of giving him help, but that ended up being the limiting factor of it all. Is you're limited at quarterback, and then because you've got a right tackle that's that's really up against it as a rookie who's been playing left tackle and got one practice in, I thought they were like that was part of why the run game, you know, disappeared in part is they, they didn't have that settled. And then, you know, they pretty much kept Drew Ogletree in there. You know, Mo Alley Cox was active coming back from the uh concussion protocol, but I don't think he played much. Drew Ogletree that was pretty much a, an extra tackle. And again, that was a way to manage that, but it took it took a target out of the game and they really didn't get anything from tight ends until, you know, Kylan Granson ended up you know, making one forty-five yard catch late in the game, uh, but I just thought that was another factor that just really limited them. Is just not not having a right tackle for the run game and having to, uh, or, or not having a you know a, a stable right tackle for the run game, and then having to give so much help to that side, uh, just kind of made their just their their them all the more predictable on offense uh, the way that they had to play this game. Unsung hero of the game, I'm taking mine because I want it, Matt Gay. Uh, just to recap Matt Gay's game, a uh, kind of, you know, for him, a normal field goal to start. A 56-yard field goal blasted through. Uh, and then a tackle. And I know he just bumped him out of bounds, but I'm putting down tackle in the book. Because <laughs> Matt Gay, if you remember, if, if those of you who read my story, uh, my feature story on where Matt Gay kind of comes from, from a couple weeks ago, if you remember... Uh, Kyle Whittingham said he he's a kicker who could play other positions because Matt Gay was a very, 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 very good soccer player in both high school and college. Um, and so, hey, he's, he's, he's an athlete too, and he made a pretty nice play. I mean, he delivered a blow. He didn't just push him out of bounds. He delivered a blow. Easiest, easiest unsung hero ever, Matt Gay. Yeah, that one's very easy, and it makes That's it why of, I took it makes it hard because today didn't have a lot of guys who you were like, oh, what a what a good game from him. It's it's kind of how it goes when the Colts play in Jacksonville. Um, I'm going to go with Jonathan Taylor, 
for Unsung Hero. Uh, statistically, it's not going to jump off the page. Obviously, it, it carries 19 yards. But like you said, there were moments that, like, it, it, even some of those runs, getting two or three yards when I thought he should have lost two or three in against the diamond front uh, was – uh, meaningful, and then really to me, it was the play he made that I was describing that catch and run for 40 yards. It was until the very, very end when the Jaguars were playing really, really soft. That was the only explosive play that the Colts really had at all, and it was to me a showcase of kind of what they can do with this guy, where he can, uh, you know, he he's got four three nine speed, and you get in the ball in space like that. He caught it two yards past the line of scrimmage. Good play design, but it also takes a heck of an athlete to turn a two-yard catch into a 40-yard gain. Not everyone can do that. He was able to do it. Um, this is not nearly as good as he can be. So, to me, like in future games, he should not be the unsung hero. He should be the hero. That's kind of what they paid him for. But for this one, that's that's kind of where, where it's at. Number of the day. Um, I'm going to go with this is kind of – repetitive of what we've done in the past, but I'm going to go with 5.8. That was their yards per attempt. And the reason that that's notable to me is they had three 40-yard catches. You've been pointing this out today. Three different 40-yard catches today, and they still were at 5.8 yards Which is a attempt. bad number. Uh, just, just, to remind, just to remind listeners, uh, a good number is 7.5. Yeah. 5.8 is abysmal. Yeah, and again, it's like usually that's it's one thing if you just they take all the explosive plays away, but that just isn't what I mean. They got a, they got a couple of them, and it's still it's just so many of his passes, fifty five attempts for Gardner Minshew. That that's obviously a, that might even be a better number. That that alone kind of tells you how the game went. Uh, but on those fifty five attempts, like the wide majority of them, it just felt like you were two yards past the line of scrimmage, and it just. Unless your athletes are just way better than everybody else's and the, the play design is perfect uh, against the right defense, that's that's just not going to cut it. So, yeah. My number of the day is 233, uh, which at the end of the day I looked up and like right before the end of the game realized that the Colts defense had only given up 233 yards, which is a fantastic number, unbelievable number. Yeah. Uh, and – I know it didn't look like that in terms of situational stuff, but only four yards per play. So I'll give a, a double number of the day, 4.0 yards per play. Like, that's good. That's very good uh, for for the Colts' defense. It, it didn't look that way on the score sheet, but a lot of it had to do with there was a big kick return, interceptions, a lot of uh, strip sack, short fields. Uh, it wasn't a – it's a little – the numbers lying to you a little bit. The defense wasn't that good, but – in an alternate world where the offense plays a little bit better, they they probably played well enough to win. A oh, I think game. They, I think they definitely did. Uh, for me, what I think about is like one of the touchdowns the Jaguars scored was Travis Etienne twenty two yards up the right sideline, and that was immediately after Gardner Minshew gets strip sacked, and that's what we they call a sudden change moment. The team. You know, defense is not expected to be on the field. Immediately they have to go out there, and the Jaguars went for a shot, get their running back, fast running back to the perimeter. It was just a momentary thing. But outside of that, I mean, even well, even with that 22-yard run, they gave up 2.9 yards of carry. So um, they, you know, they, uh, yeah, they, 
they they held it down on defense. I mean, they started. You can. They weren't perfect. Start was bad. Two touch, touchdowns yeah. on the first two drives, but like you said, one of them was a quick. Yeah, the first drive was was very bad. It was a seventy-five yard drive. They had no pass rush. They had two penalties. I mean, that it was a bad start, and that seems to happen to them all the time in Jacksonville. But really, they it was like second half. It was they were pitching three and outs. It just it's hard to notice because they were down like twenty-four to six, and it just didn't. It was different. Like this is uh, this is what's kind of interesting is they were basically down the same amount that they were down against the Rams at the same point in the game, but it just felt totally different because that was a game against the Rams when they they could create explosive plays and come back and they did and they got to overtime. This one, it was just harder to notice the defense playing well because it felt like what's it going to lead to, which made this feel a lot more like last year. Game day observation is the next category. And this is going to be a city observation. Uh, Link, longtime listeners of the podcast know that I am not happy that I am still in Jacksonville. Travel did not work out for me to fly home to Indianapolis right after the game. Um, I don't love the city we are currently in. I'm trying to say that quiet because we're in the lobby of a hotel of people who presumably live in Jacksonville. Um, But I don't love this place. Uh, And I I think I saw something today that's going to disturb me for a long time. Uh, Especially if I come back next year and it's still there. Uh, We are staying out by the airport. uh, The way in, I don't know what highway we're on. Um, Nate was driving, I wasn't paying attention. Um, they, They have road signs that are the size and look like they came from a bridge I'm try- this is going to be really hard to describe. I'm going to do my best. So, like, think about a road sign. Like, you're driving on, I don't know, 70. And you go under an overpass, and there's a giant road sign on it telling you where the next interstate is. They have signs like that, but they don't. They're not attached to anything. They're not elevated on anything. They are just dropped in the grass on the side of the road. With what appears, like, I know this isn't what it actually is, but it looks like they just cut it off of a bridge. It looks like they just cut a bridge into pieces and then just, like, took a crane and was like, oh, I don't know what to do with this. I'm just going to drop it. It was, it, like, it, it, it's, it's a ridiculous thing. It's, it, it's, I, I, I cannot believe, like, the level of just don't care. And several <laughs> signs on both sides it, of the highway. It, they're huge. And, like... You see it and you're like, okay, I've seen a lot of different things in a lot of different places road-wise. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, seriously, they just dropped these road signs on the side of the road. And that's, that's kind of gets at like my whole issue with this place. It's like, it's like someone was just like, eh, that'll work. <laughs> that's good, good enough. Good enough. And it's not. <laughs> Those roadsides also, I don't know if you noticed, they have like a, like they're propped up on, it's like Cinderbach. And yeah, like that's the part like that a, looks like it's a bridge. It looks like, the, like it kind of looks like a bridge. Yeah. And it's almost like they were like, oh, what can we lean this on? <laughs> like, so it doesn't fall over? Yeah. Because if it, it falls over, like they, you won't know where you're going. It looks like they knocked down a bridge and just took the refuse and the signs and were just like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what it's are we going to do? amazing for a major city. What are we going to do? <laughs> what are we going to do about these signs? Well... Should we like put them back up somewhere? Nah, let's just drop them on the side of the road. What do you mean the side of the road? Like, oh, you know, like, there's the road and then there's the grass, just in the grass. 
Or it's like they like they fell off and they were like, oh, we're gonna have to replace these. Like, uh, uh-uh, uh, I got some, I got some twine. We can just like, <laughs> like prop them up. Yeah, some cords. I, like, what if you live behind that and you're just staring at the back of a sign on concrete? It just like just an unspeakable eye. If you live here, you're probably used to that kind an, of thing. An unnamed member of our staff. This this is how bad it looks. An unnamed member of our staff who shall remain nameless. Very seriously asked, has there been a storm that come through here? <laughs> they were not joking when they, they said it. It was a, it was a good <laughs> question. They, they were not joking. <laughs> they, thought, they thought that a natural disaster had taken place. Yeah, that's a good one. That's definitely the best game day observation. That was uh, on the drive-in. That was, there's no real way to top that. Um, but since we pinball these, I will go with the... Uh, the Jaguars fan who was in the full leopard print suit. Jaguar print. It's not leopard print. Uh, Jaguar print, yeah. It's, uh, if it's like, a leopard print, he's at the wrong like game. It's like shorts and uh, kind of like a polo <laughs> shirt, like a something like that. And it's just it's just full Jaguar print. That's I don't know. That was a good time. That was like a, if you're going to show up to something like this, that that tailgating at that time in the morning that was a good the, the commitment the commitment to the, to it was remarkable he did not have any piece of clothing on him that was not leopard print like it wasn't we're not talking about like part of the shirt is black and then like the sleeves are leopard print i mean like the exact same print over the shirt the shorts the hat uh, maybe the shoes i did not in in the words of Shawshank, you how many times do you really look at a man's shoes I didn't really look at his shoes, but it may have been. I mean, it was head to toe. I have a, a bonus game day observation because it made me giggle so much. Uh, I don't know if the Colts have a a lawyer, official lawyer of the Colts. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if the Colts have an official lawyer of the Colts, uh, but the Jaguars do. And <laughs> the the picture of the two people. One of them is like they're in a football jersey, right? Were they wearing football jerseys? Yes. They had like a Jaguars jersey on. And one of them is just looking at the camera. They, so they've got the big scoreboard and there's these two things on either side. And one of them is a giant face of a man who, I, admittedly, I don't know if you really want your legal counsel to be wearing football jerseys, but eh, it might be okay. I'm, you know what? I'm fine with that. Be a good so look at a courtroom. This guy's fine. On the other side, <laughs> his, his, his co-lawyer is... Is is holding a football and looking off in the distance, like he's going to throw it, like he is Trevor Lawrence, despite the fact that he is very clearly a lawyer of you know mid. I'm assuming middling age. Uh, it 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 was I. I really wish you could see it. I know yeah, his grip of the ball was very. Oh impressive. yeah, he didn't have the laces. Yeah, the yeah, laces were. That. I'm glad you brought that up. He didn't have the laces at all. Like. He was not going to hold that ball the second that he hits it from behind. That that thing is flying out. <laughs> ball security was a major question. He mark. had it. He actually had it flipped in such a way that you could see the laces towards the camera, and neither of his hands were on them. <laughs> it, it's amazing just, that it like even stayed long enough for the photo. Just looks like it's immediately falling out of his hands. A spectacular, like. Hilarious, fo- like hilarious photo, and I, I get it. You're trying to do like an ad, uh, with the, uh, with the team or whatever, but the, you could have done something else with the football. <laughs> he did like an Uncle Rico pose. I, it's, yeah, or like, that's like you know what? It, actually, you know what it is? It's like the pose that like quarterbacks. Well, 
So there's a lot of old cards, and quarterbacks either have the ball where he had it, like, up by their chin with both hands on it, or they have, like, one arm behind them like they're throwing. He had the one where it was, like, up. It looked like a 1960s card, except enormous and on the side of a scoreboard. It was just ridiculous. Just a ridiculous thing, to, <laughs> ridiculous thing to do, and not holding the laces at all. The laces part was my favorite. Like that, it, I'm really <laughs> glad you remembered this that. This was not really selling it very much, but that was fun. Uh, since I have to match that, I'll just quickly go with. Uh, I enjoy the Jaguars mascot, who is named Jackson Deville. Uh, he's a jaguar, like a cat in a jersey, and he scales from. The rooftop down, or not rooftop from the, like, basically they have him strung up and he scales down to start the game and, and arrives down there and it's, like, time to rumble. And it just, to me, that's, whenever the Colts are here, uh, that is sort of, like, the moment of, like, that's, like, the boss arriving and you're about to die. Um, that's kind of what happens to the Colts when Jackson DeVille drops from the from the rafters. So, uh, yeah. I... <sighs> I might need your help on this. We might need to just do three. Because we have gotten to the point where we were at football things that gave me joy. And there just wasn't a lot today, if we're being honest. I, I don't... Yeah. I'm I'm kind of sh- struggling a little bit to come up with, like, the, especially to come up with the spirit of football things that, that gave me joy, where they're like little pieces of play. I was thinking about it during the game, actually. That's, that's what this podcast has done. I was thinking during the game, I was like, I don't have anything... And I'm struggling to come up with something. Um, so I'm going to start stretching. Kenny Moore, I think, had three tackles for loss. He did. He's a defensive back. Heck yeah. That gave me joy. I'll go with that. That's classic Kenny. And personal game for Kenny, too. He's from a couple hours away. Always has family here. Uh, well, as I always say, Jacksonville is from southeast Georgia. So yeah, That's true, and he's from southeast Georgia. So that was good. I'm going to go with uh, – Alec Pierce had a one-handed catch today. That was very nifty. Um, you know, they've had a hard time getting production to Alec Pierce. And I thought he had a good day. I really did. Yeah, he was he before was he got hurt. Doing more like they, you know, we 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 questioned that. How are they going to get him the ball when he's a down the field type guy? Well, they found a couple ways. It wasn't a huge day. I think he had three catches for twenty five yards. Um, so, but he but he got hurt. That's the thing is he had a shortened day. Um, and, and they're going to hope he's okay with the shoulder injury. But that, that one-handed catch was like, you know, for a guy that's, you know, he's trying to improve in that area, be a reliable catcher of the football, like that was that was a nice play where he kind of made up for that. Matt Gay laying the wood. I'll, I'll use that one for my second one. Anytime, anytime a kicker delivers an actual blow, just good, good stuff from, from, from them. So we already went through it on the podcast. Don't have to get into it too much. But Matt Gay, Matt Gay laying the wood on somebody. That one's that was really really good. That's two. I gotta figure out a third one real quick. Ooh, this is where I'm struggling because um, I would have said that I already kind of laid it out. The play where Shane got JT open that was a you very. Can use that. R- r- we'll we'll use that again. Um, and I guess I'll bring that up because it'll tie into something else we'll get into. But like I, Shane was faced with you know he's trying to react to this diamond front and like it, they were surprised by it. Um, it's not the way that Ryan Kelly explained it is that. Is so different than how the Texans and the Titans tried to defend this team, um, and so perhaps the Jaguars for that. Shane Titans trying to find this out, on, figure this out on the fly while he's got you know the right tackle issues and keeping a blocker in for that. So so one of the ways was uh, 
moving um, you know motioning J- Jonathan Taylor out, and this is another Shane Steichen stable. Like he's he's been once a game. It feels like he has a play that he they really rep like crazy in practice to get so many details down. And if they get a certain look, it opens it up. We like that. This was the one this week where um, when they got man coverage in empty, they can motion Jonathan Taylor in sort of this quick motion uh, right for the snap, kind of like the Dolphins do all the time. Uh, and basically they were, what they're able to do is create two picks on it. The pick with, between Alec Pierce running from the slot, taking one corner into another, and then once that corner recovered to try and kind of catch up to Taylor, uh, Josh Downs settled in the middle on his own mesh concept um, to to throw that off, and you know the one thing Gardner that, that Gardner Minshew does consistently well is is ball placement on those short throws, sort of like outside the numbers uh, when you, like you're not throwing over the line, you're kind of just throwing outside. So it was it was just a great use, I thought, of the different skill sets he had on a day when they had to manufacture touches to Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss that were not handing the ball off. So uh, that was a way to to, to use both a player and play design to create explosive play. The third football thing that gave me joy um, is – this is kind of a sports thing, actually, that gives me joy. Um, but but we'll, we'll, it's, I've been paying attention to it this year because the Colts have some rookies and some guys in their first year catching touchdown passes. Uh, just making sure you get the ball. Um, so I, we, we asked Josh Downs about the ball. He had it. He said he's, he doesn't know he's going to do with it yet. He might, you know, frame it, which, you know, that sort of means, like, put it in a case. Um might give it to his mom, that kind of thing. Uh, but well, I went back to him because there was a football in the bag next to his locker. I said, is that it? And he said, no, that's just a ball from something else. The equipment staff has it. Because, like, the equipment staff, when it comes to milestone balls, they they take care of it until it's back in the facility. Hmm. That's true both at home and on the road, apparently, is the equipment staff gets the ball, makes sure they have it, and then it just appears in the player's locker the next day, which I think is really cool. Um you get some stuff where they're like if you uh, if you go watch, you can probably find it if you like just look around on X or X Twitter or whatever. Um, but Joe Burrow today threw a touchdown pass to somebody with a lot of letters in their name uh, that I never heard of, <laughs> and Burrow went and got them the ball, got him the ball. Like mm. he, you can see like there's a, I saw a little clip. He like runs over and like realizes he doesn't have the that the guy doesn't have the ball. Check takes off in the end zone. It, it's just it's just neat. Like I, it'd be so cool to have those milestones. Uh, I like it. Watch on watching baseball too, and a, and a guy gets his first hit or his fifteen hundredth hit, whatever it is, and they they have to get him a ball. Love that stuff. So football thing that gives me joy: the Colts making sure that the player does not have to keep track of their milestone ball until it gets to their locker in the facility. And I'll do just a slight play off that. Um, you're not the only one who thought that was the touchdown ball because at one point Nick Cross went over and tried to steal it. <laughs> and Josh Towns let him know that's not even it. So <laughs> nice try. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, the Josh Towns touchdown. That's like one of the few good moments of this does, game. And it, it does Juju me... have, did Juju have his interception ball? Did you ask? Oh, I did not ask that. That's what we're gonna have to figure out. Yeah. Um, I, you... I have toyed. I have toyed with trying to do some kind of long form story on on them on, on what players do with the ball and like the importance of it. Well, who knows if it'll turn out. Um, but, but I have to- toyed with that idea. Yeah, that's it, that would be a good idea. And I just like did day like today. Not not much went the Colts' way. It was cool when there's little milestones. So like, 
Josh Downs' first touchdown was fun for him and gave me the opportunity to use touchdowns uh, on Twitter. And Nate I know does, Joel loved that. Nate does not have kids. That's the most important part here because that is touchdown, using touchdowns with Josh Downs is very much a dad joke. It sure is. And it's very much a dad joke. And Nate just went with it. Yeah. Now it's, back back to the serious stuff. Um, back to the, the the stuff that's that's tougher to th- talk about. Uh, too much blame, too little blame. Um, given that it is a loss, we will start with too much blame. Who's going to get too much blame for this game? Uh, I'm going to go with Shane Steichen. So I've seen people out there reacting to the fact that the Colts came out here with the backup quarterback and they had him throw the ball 55 times and they ran the ball 17 times. And a lot of people are kind of looking at that as a, I think, misplaced cause and effect is that they didn't lose because they had Gardner Minshew throw 55 times. They had him throw 55 times because they were losing. Um, They went down 14 to three, one minute into the second quarter. And when that's the case and the Jaguars are playing that diamond front, I mean, you're giving up to just stick with the run. Like the, the max payoff in those runs the longest run they had today was nine yards. I mean, if they're going to take the ball at their own 25 and try and play that way, um, they were never going to come back. And the only reason that they kind of somewhat did come back is because they had to let it loose. And it it led to turnovers, so it was like it didn't work. Uh, I mean, it didn't ultimately pay off, but there's just no way that they could have come back possibly by by continuing to run at that seven-man front. And – the Jaguars stuck with that even with the lead because it, it was different than other situations. They just did not fear that passing game all that much. And so I think Shane was uh, – it's not a perfect game. He's got to – there have to be more adjustments uh, to create something through the air. And, and I will say with Shane, like, the quarterback injury is very unfortunate. For Anthony to be out this long is, is very bad luck. But – Shane Steichen did recruit Gardner Minshew here. Like, that's his guy. So, at some point, it is going to fall a little bit more on him to figure this out. That's his job going forward. But today, specifically, uh, they were down three scores almost the entire game. Like, to, to just run for two yards of play, like that, I, I'd be, I'd have him as a villain if that's what they were doing. And it's not what they were doing. It's, it's unfortunate that what they're equipped with is Gardner Minshew being that guy you're trying to come back and, and match Trevor Lawrence with like but but that's what he had and it's he you know he did the best he could designing an offense to try and do that and I thought you know honestly one thing that helped them out was yeah Zach Moss and Jonathan Taylor had 15 combined carries but they also had 11 catches so like they did get him the ball in other ways and it's like that is sometimes the run game now some of those catches were like dump offs on third and long so it didn't have a positive effect, but like that catch to Jonathan Taylor did. Like they got a forty yard play from Jonathan Taylor because of design that they would never gonna get if they just ran kept running the ball, I don't think. So uh too much blame to me is is, is him. Yeah, and that play could have been huge if if Minchin didn't throw an interception like two plays later or three plays later. because mm-hmm. um, they needed something to get back in the game. Too much blame for me, just the running backs. Taylor and Moss, you you already kinda you just touched on this. Um but you know the, the rushing numbers aren't good. I thought if you, I think if you watch it, um, I think they were probably better than than the numbers say. Uh, not a good day for them by any means, but I just 
the front that the Jackson that the Jaguars were using. Not a lot of holes. Um, yeah, running backs for me. Mm-hmm. Too too little blame. Too little blame for today's game. Mm. Um, <laughs> I feel like we use this a lot. I'm just not coming up with a much better answer. I'm going to go with the front office because some of these problems were things they could have prevented. The tackle depth, the cornerbacks available on the roster, these were problems back in right after the draft. These were problems back when there were, were some options to sign that you know, could get you in a spot where you're not asking a fourth-round rookie to switch from left tackle to right tackle. Um, and I know he got some work in the summer, and, and that over time they're going to develop him as the swing tackle, but he's not de- he's not there yet. Like he, I think they could have signed some veteran to play tackle to where you don't have to do all the adjustments. I thought they put so much on Shane today to overcome that when it, it just didn't have to necessarily be that way. And the same thing's going on at cornerback where – just that one series where Juju Brents went out, like you're absolutely terrified about like how how are they possibly going to match up with these receivers? In another situation where like it just didn't quite have to, they, they kind of hamstrung themselves in those areas. So I think there's a lot with going on with Anthony that's that's unfortunate. It's hard to blame the Colts too much for a lot of that. There's youth on this team. That's that's going to be part of it. But the depth showed its. Uh, kind of reared its ugly head again today, and, and and that, to me, still goes back to the front office. Too little blame. I'm going to go with the pass rush. I thought there were a lot of moments when the when the Jaguars were, were building their lead that there just wasn't a lot going on there. They ended up with three sacks, which is a good number against Lawrence. Um, he does get the ball out very quick. I just felt like there were some times that they just didn't have a lot of pressure, especially, especially early. It got better as the game went along, but, um, yeah. Uh, I'd say the pass rush and two neutral zone infractions on that first drive. Oh, that's right. Yes, from the pass rushers yeah. that yeah. made it too easy. Um, that brings us to one: a take to throw away, and then a take to go on. Something we're 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 gonna st- we always start with a take to to throw away because it's the point they're gonna throw it away. Something that is being talked about now that's that's gonna go away as the season goes on. Um, I'm going to, I guess I'm going (laughs) to, this is going to sound hypocritical what I said earlier. Um, I, I, well, I'll I'll pin it this way. I guess the idea that like Jonathan Taylor is not a factor. Um, I'm going to throw that away. I think they do have some run game concerns that they've got to iron out the stuff we've laid out about not having Anthony and what that does to the math, but Jonathan Taylor is still building up. And, uh, you know, this seems to happen against the Jaguars where it feels like, like statistically, it's, it's never on, it's just rarely as on par with the rest of his performances. I remember my first year here, he had a tremendous first quarter against them and then really didn't do anything for three quarters. The game here was when they really stacked the box and he had some decent outside runs, but they, they couldn't get him unleashed. This is back in the 2021 season. And then, Last year, you know, they got shut out. They couldn't – like, it, it, something about this matchup has – I mean, it's been always bad for the Colts, and, and it really – they just handle that that part of the game. They they really beat the Colts up up front, and they handled Jonathan Taylor. And, I, like, I don't think this was his best game, but um, 
but he was still my unsung hero because I thought that like he he did enough out there that in the run game and in the pass game that made me believe that like if they're able to scheme up a little bit more in the pass game, which they will have more opportunities to do with you know, with more practices. He's only practiced six times. Shane will be able to play with this more. And if they're able to get some of this some of the blocking and some of the numbers different, um, which is a challenge, but I still think it'll be better if they can get Braden Smith back and they can get Mo Ali Cox uh, back in the fold, their top blocking tight end, if they can do anything to lighten that diamond front up, which they've got to find some adjustments to do it somewhat. I think that's when you'll see Jonathan Taylor having a chance to bounce stuff in the run game. So today he was like avoiding a lot of players and turning what could have been a three-yard loss into a two-yard gain. I think eventually we're going to start to see like some of those gashing runs because the speed he showed on that on the 40-yard catch, um, it's still in there. Um, he's He gave an interesting explanation too about just – why it's kind of takes time at running back where it's not so much of a mental and schematic adjustments. It's more like getting all your muscles firing at the right moments and then expounding that into a sport where you're taking on high speed collisions. Um, he, he's going to get this thing going. It's just, it's still early. And today was just not the day really that not the, not the place, not the opponent, not the moment to drop him in and expect wonders, but I, we'll see it eventually. Uh, my take to throw away, I, I actually don't think that the super high turnovers, historically speaking, uh, or interceptions, I don't think super high interceptions is something to expect from Gardner Minshew for as long as he's starting. Historically, he has a 1.5 interception percentage. A lot of his style of play is built in a way that is to minimize those mistakes. I don't know that you're going to see a ton of interceptions. Fumbles, on the other hand, he does have a fumbling issue. He's he's fumbled 24 times in 26 starts in his career. Now, it's 37 games, but 24 times in 26 starts. Our, our editor, Nat Newell, ran the numbers um, for me in the uh, – in the uh, while I was writing my story. And he's not – it's not the worst. He doesn't have the worst fumble percentage uh, uh, of quarterbacks. But he's, he's in the bottom. He, fumbling it has been an issue. So I, I think that that will be that, – that's not my take to go on. But that is, I, don't, I don't know that interception is going to be a problem. I might want to watch out for the ball security. That leaves us with one to go on. Take to go on from this game. You got to take it at the top, so I, I'm going to take it now. Uh, we, we saw that Gardner Minshew has limitations, and those limitations force, are going to force the Colts to come up with some answers on offense. And expecting him to be um, – Something more than that is is probably a mistake. He's a backup quarterback. He's going to need a lot of help. Yeah, for sure. I I we were just watching the end of the. They got distracted game by here. the end of the Sunday night game. Um, yeah, so I was just watching the Bills holding on the end zone against the Giants. Uh, my take to go on it's it's similar to that. It's just sort of a a, a play off of it. I, I say this a lot, but um, players matter more than plays, and so. This is where I'm saying I think Shane was a little hamstrung by the players he had available. That's still always going to matter. And so um, I just think that, like, Shane's going to do some things to find some of the answers to what we're talking about. It will. This will get better. Some of the, like you said, the, the turnovers will not be as high, I don't think. I think they're going to find some ways to, to generate a run game. Um, but... 
I don't think they're going to find solutions to make this an explosive offense just just through scheme this season. That it, it just isn't it isn't going to be built that way. What they need to have happen, the best case they can hope for right now on that side of the ball, I think, is getting Braden Smith back, getting back to having a very high level offensive line like they have had for most of the season. They need to be that type of team that's like offensive line running back driven a, a team that overcomes some of this through that, but they have limitations when they don't. And, and right now, if they have without Braden Smith, that's where it's, I'm very curious to find out how serious his hip injury is, because if he's out for an extended period of time and you've got two very young tackles um, that tends to come back around in a league with, uh, you know, the, such good veteran pass rushers and, and on their schedule too. next week, Miles Garrett, Zadarius Smith, the next week, Cam Jordan, down the road, you know, TJ Watt, like it's Trey Hendrickson's on there. Um, Matt Judon, there's ours. Judon hurt, hurt. I don't know how hurt he is. Um, I don't know how long. So we'll see. But there's like, you know, Max Crosby. There's just guys that are going to give them problems. Um, that that like, again, like today. This this is a perfect example of that. Is today scheme wise, I thought they handled that edge pressure pretty well. It still didn't work. It limited all the amount of uh, players they had to get to the ball. And right now, this offense kind of today looked more like what the Colts offense looked late in 2021, which is it's Jonathan. Their players that scare you on that side of the ball are Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman Jr. And it's just hard to scheme too much else up around that, um, especially if you have areas that are not – not just not stars, but like major, major weaknesses um, when an injury two pops up at wide receiver or tackle. And that's the other one I'll mention too is we'll see what Alec Pierce's prognosis is. It um, is his shoulder issue, but that's another position where like they don't have any depth at all behind that. And I don't think they're just going to scheme up to survive it. So players matter more than plays. They lost one incredibly important one at quarterback that that's just going to, it's just going to knock this group down a little bit. But that's also the case at, I think, at right tackle, left tackle, both outside wide receiver spots. Um, and then Jonathan Taylor, if they lose any of those amount of guys that they lose, you're going to feel a hit. They're not just going to overcome it with scheme. The Colts come back to Lucas Oil Stadium next week. They have to play the Browns uh, and a defense that I'm I'm guessing is still going to be uh, at or in the top five in most major categories big test for the Colts going forward for the Colts cover two podcast this has been the first impressions edition I am Joel A. Erickson this is Nate Atkins we will soon be out of Jacksonville for a long time